Would you please turn with me to Matthew 16? I want to check how you respond to a situation that I faced just yesterday, what your emotions might be, uh, what your feelings might be, and see maybe if we're in sync or if we're not in sync. Uh, Tina and I were doing some shopping, and so we drove uh, south, and we're heading to some stores, and as I was driving, I looked just to my right, and I could see down a, a lake that was frozen over, and right in the middle of the lake, I saw a couple of fishing shanties out there. I'm trying to read your faces. Some of you, when I say there were people out there on the lake in January fishing, get envious. You get jealous. You think, oh boy, to be there. Others of you have kind of a, a look of disgust on your face. Why would anyone leave the warmth of their home or a building to go out there and be on a frozen lake? There are activities that each one of us participate in in life that different people will see differently. Let me name a few of them and maybe just see how you feel about these various activities. Hunting. Running. I have a friend that uh, just went on vacation in Hawaii. If you were going on vacation in Hawaii, what would you plan to do? He made plans to and followed through with running a half marathon in Hawaii. Does anybody here want to run a half marathon when you're on vacation? Well, that put wind in his sails. That really lit him up. And other people who want to run see runners and get excited about it and wish they were out there. Other people say, why would anybody run on vacation? How about poetry and art? What are your feelings on those? Golf. Softball, basketball, many, many of you are musicians, maybe you have an instrument that you've been able to play and, and become proficient in or you're just taking one on. Some people love couponing, they love to get the deal. Some people love to dabble in the stock market. Now it's likely that many of you have tried multiple of these activities and some of you possibly have stuck with one or maybe two, but you've probably not stuck with all of them because you have found at one point there was a challenge. There was a challenge. This isn't worth it. I quit. Not going to do it anymore. For some people, they get into the gardening. And as they're gardening, that just puts wind in their sails. They love to do that. They love to be on their knees and they love to bring fruit out of the ground, you know, as God gives the increase and give away their vegetables and fruit to other people. Some of you will see all, a garden or even all kinds of landscaping and hear three different words that my dad used to say. Maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Some have taken up golf, trying to get that white ball in that small cup that's so far away. Some of you have thought that would lower your blood pressure and you found that it, would actually, it actually raised your blood pressure. When we look at different things that we do in life, we understand that each one of us is different. And some people who have found their niche, they've found what puts wind in their sails, to use that expression. They have found that, and even though it has proven to be challenging, 
even caused pain, they haven't quit. They've stuck with it. Let me ask this question for our purposes together as a church family. Is there an activity that everyone, without exception, can spend time in and afterwards agree that it was good and even agree that they're going to continue with it? My conviction is the answer is yes. If you're searching for what it might be, that's what we're going to be focusing on today. There is an activity that offers personal satisfaction. It's an activity that will give that same kind of satisfaction and encouragement to others that are around you that are different than you. And it's an activity that we can be part of that, that God has created us for. This Sunday and over the next several weeks, we're going to be answering the question, what are my feelings about church and how committed do I need to be to it? All that to take us to Matthew 16. Are you there? Matthew chapter 16. We understand that talking about the church, the church begins, we have the record of it in the book of Acts, the history book of the New Testament. And as the church begins in Acts, that's not the very first time that we hear about it. Jesus Christ, before the church started, spoke of the church. The first time that it's mentioned, it comes from Jesus. The second time that it's mentioned in the New Testament, it comes from Jesus Christ. And the first and second time, he actually means two different things when he uses the one word, church. In his first mention of the word church, I need to set it up in this way, it's a very deep meaning. The first time Christ mentions the church, he's talking about something that is vast, something that is huge, and something that is deeper than many of us think of when we think of the word church. And when we see Christ talking about this, the first thing that we learn from him is that every man, woman, and child needs to know and to love Jesus. Any person that you encounter in this world needs to know Jesus Christ. And not only know him, but they need to love Jesus Christ. And that takes us to this first mention, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse number 13. And when we see Jesus talking about this, it's a familiar passage. Look at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus tells him here, that there is something that is coming and Peter receives a supernatural bit of information from God the Father that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah they had all been looking for. This was revealed to him by God the Father and it's at that point that Jesus Christ mentions the church. 
And when he says church here, what he's talking about is all believers in every age, in every place. We have different words that we use for this. Sometimes, um, commonly today, we call these Christians. If someone's a Christian, that's what we're talking about. Um, Sometimes we'll say this is part of the family of God. There's a great old song. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Sometimes we use the expression, the body of Christ. And you should know the term universal church. That's what Jesus is referring to here. But what does he mean when he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Well, when we think of church, most of us think of the place where we are gathered today or maybe the people we are gathered with today. That's what we think of when we think of church. But very clearly here, when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, he is not talking about various local churches in that statement. How many churches can we find that are 1,900 years old? I'm I'm not sure if we can find any. Clearly, some local assemblies have began a group of believers meeting together for a purpose, and they've gone away. So Christ clearly is not talking about individual local assemblies here. Many churches have started and no longer exist. In fact, whole denominations that preach the word of God clearly, have begun and have started multiple churches. And they're not even around anymore. So when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, he's talking here about the universal church. So understand what that means. But please don't miss this. This is so key to being well-educated when it comes to the scriptures. When we talk about the universal church, that is a very small minority of the times that church is mentioned in the Bible. In fact, over 95% of the time, when we find the word church or assembly or something like that, over 95% of the times, it's talking about those individual local churches. Know what this means, the universal church. It's the body of Christ. It means that you are saved. But do not think that you can allow that to take the place of being part of a local church. I ran into someone not too long ago where we had some words about this. I don't have words with too many people. But as we were talking, this individual was pushing me pretty hard on what pastors should be doing and what I should be doing and what my problem is. And I tried to walk away. I promise you, I tried to walk away multiple times. And I knew this individual, and I knew that he does not attend a local church. And so finally, I just stopped, and I said, well, let me ask this. What does your pastor say about this issue? And it stopped him for a second and took him back. And then I saw the light bulb go off, and you would have thought I had taken a stick and poked a bear. He came after me, and here's what he said. I'm part of the universal church. That's exactly what he said. You should know what the universal church is. I pray and trust that you are part of the universal church, the body of Christ. But it does not take the place of the second time that God mentions Jesus Christ. God mentions the church. Jesus says, I'm going to start something, and the gates of hell, the devil himself cannot stop it. Now, if 
the devil or one of his demons was over overhearing that conversation. Okay, Jesus, you're saying you're going to start something and nothing's going to stand against it. I have to think that the devil might have said, I don't really need the gates of hell. Just give me about half a dozen to a dozen different people with different ideas that think differently and let's put them in the same place and it'll fall apart all on its own. And that's the second thing that we see here. Turn over to Matthew 18. We're going to find the second time that Christ mentions the church. Every man, woman, and child need to know and love Jesus. Keep that in your minds when you walk through your community, your job, your school. They all need to know Jesus Christ. And on top of that, every individual who knows and loves Jesus needs to be an active part of one of his assemblies. It is a command, and it shouldn't have to be a command. It should be something that we want to do. So in the book of Matthew, we find Jesus talking about the church a couple times. He says, I will build my church. In Acts, we find the miraculous start to the church. And in 20 plus other books of the New Testament, when it talks about church, it is not, it is not simply for an individual's progressive sanctification, for their growth. In those other books, it is written to a local church, a group of believers. Yes, so that they can grow in their spiritual life, but more so so they can work together as a church and, as, and so they could thrive. Before we read from Matthew 18, they say confession is good for the soul. I've not confessed anything to anybody today. Let me go first, Okay. Would you like to guess what Jeremy Lazell's biggest problem is? My wife already knows. <laughs> Jeremy Lazell's biggest problem is Jeremy Lazell. I'm a sinner and I struggle all alone in a room. There are enough problems to play havoc with the church when I'm all by myself. All right? You brought yourself into this. What happens when you take two sinners, husband and wife, and put them together? Does that make it easier or harder? Holy smokes. <laughs> two sinners together makes it harder. Okay, can we add? How about dozens? Let's get, doz let's get hundreds Hundreds of sinners. And let's see if we can get them to agree. To do the same thing. To agree that it was best for them. And to say they're going to continue to do it. And then to invite others to be a part of that. Even others who are bigger sinners than they are. And yes, we need to do that too. It's hard enough all by ourselves. But when we add other sinners into it, it gets so difficult it gets so easy to quit. <laughs> There's an old joke, sad but kind of true, about a guy who was deserted on, a, on an island, a desert island, all by himself for years. 
And he prayed that God would save him, prayed that God would rescue him. And finally, after a couple years, he finally had a boat come to save him. And the people on the boat came and saw him, and he was just looked like he'd been living by himself for a couple of years. And they were going to take him and uh, take him back to civilization, and he was thrilled. And so they asked the question. They said, well, we noticed that you've been here for a while, and you've done some stuff. What are, what are those three buildings over there, he said. And he said, well, that building on the left, that's my house. That's where I live. Oh, okay. Well, what's that building next to it? Well, that's my church. I'm a very religious person. Oh, okay. What's that building next to that? Oh, well, that's where I used to go to church, is what he said. <laughs> it makes us smile, but there's a little bit of truth to it. Even all by ourselves, we can't figure it out. And so Jesus Christ in Matthew 18 talks about the church for the second time. And he mentions here something that we're going to have to, to grab a hold of and then he even adds to it to help us with the church. Jesus is going to address two ongoing problems in the church. He's going to tell us how we can keep the church family together and then he's going to tell us how we can keep the church family pure. How can we keep the church family together? How can we keep the church family pure? We're going to read verses 15 through 20 of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The point to what Jesus is teaching here is very clear. If someone in your group, in your assembly, has sinned, they're erring through sin. The idea is to go and to correct them. When we are dealing with sin, there is always one goal, and that goal is always re restoration. We want to restore that brother or that sister back into the family of Christ. And so Jesus tells them what to do here. And even that with two or three witnesses, he gets that right from the Old Testament. I think two or three witnesses before something official can happen. And so Jesus Christ is not talking about the universal church here. He's talking, not talking about all Christians in all places. That would be impossible. Even with our technology today, you could not tell every Christian in every place about that sin that that one believer did. Clearly, he is speaking of the local church here. But if we can get very, very real just for a second... Most of the problems that we encounter in churches, honestly, are not black and white sin problems. You 
You might try to trace one of them back to pride or to selfishness, I guess. But a black and white, two or three witnesses, we're going to write it down and then we're going to take it before the church. And if you refuse to repent from your sin, you'll be kicked out of the church. Most churches aren't about that. With most churches, when problems come up and when problems persist, it is typically a difference of opinion. Or perhaps that tone that you said that word in. I'm not sure what you meant by that. And we allow people, you know, we we chew on that. These things that are not very clear are oftentimes the thing that causes the greatest division in churches. And so right on the heels of when Jesus gives this instruction, you go to a brother, you correct them with a, correct them one-on-one, correct them with a witness, and if they won't, you go before the church. Right after that, wonderful Peter asks a wonderful question. I think it's a genuine question, and it's beautiful that it's in Matthew 18, because right on the heels of how to handle someone who is in sin and how to correct them and restore them, right on the heels of that, Peter talks to Jesus Christ and he says, okay, well, if I choose to forgive that one, so this is probably like an opinion, difference of opinion, not a black and white thing, but I forgive them. Peter says, how many times do I forgive them? So, I mean, same thing. How, how many times do I forgive them for the same, same thing? Five times? No, some of you know. Peter said seven times? And Jesus Christ answers Peter. And he says, no, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. The point that Jesus Christ is making is you keep on forgiving to keep the family together. How much are we to forgive? You know what this is going to require? This is going to require patience. This is going to require forgiveness and it's going to require love. And usually when we act in kindness and patience and generosity, usually the problems will be taken care of. Why must we forgive so much? Because we have been forgiven of so much. Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And maybe when you put yourself side by side, you look a whole lot better than that person. But when you put yourself next to Jesus Christ, you don't look all that great. We have been forgiven of so much. And this takes me back to the original thought when we started our time together. Even though we are a variety of individuals, we are all tied together to be part of one thing that Jesus Christ talked about and began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. You and I are tied together by our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we all have a story. Every one of us. It's even being written today. My experience is the stories look very, very different in the beginning. They look very, very different sometimes in the middle. And when you start to start to share your story, you'll see how different it is from another person. But they should get to a place where they look very, very similar. And that place is, I am only a sinner saved by grace. And it's that story that unites us. 
and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We're going to be blessed to look at the church, which is might be my favorite topic to talk about. Stories that talk about a sinner saved by grace. Every one of us has something unique and valuable to add to the whole. Not just the universal church that you're adding to the world in some kind of a positive way. You're using the gift that you have, something unique and something special to add to the whole. The writer of Hebrews said it well in 24 and 25 of chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We must, we must make time for others. I know people who feel lonely. I know people who wish they had more friends. If we do not make time for friends, we will not have any. And the last thing I want to mention to you sets us up for the next several weeks. My activity within Christ's church should include a few things. Now, here's the three points. Everybody that you know and see needs to know Jesus Christ. Everybody who knows Jesus Christ should be part of one of his local assemblies. And everybody in a local assembly, those, a good church, the objectives should include worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. Let me elaborate on those. Worship. We are joining together for a spirit-led time of worship and praise directed to our God in response to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We are loved and we have to worship Him. And it's good to worship alone. I know I do and I know many of you do as well. But we need to be with others and worship together. Instruction. We are growing deeper in our understanding of God, knowledge of the Bible, and purpose for which we were created. We get instruction together. In the day we live in, you can find a thousand sermons in less than a minute. Lessons and things you can learn. But there's something special about learning with others. God designed it that way. Fellowship. We are committing ourselves to one another. I will say that again. We are committing ourselves to one another. We accomplish this by praying together, serving one another, provoking one another to do good works, and standing together in all things from weeping to rejoicing. And then the last one is expression. We are taking the gospel message to the people we share life with, the people in our communities, and the people around the world. I'm so thankful that this mystery of the church that nobody saw coming, none of the Jews, nothing in the Old Testament gave us an idea that this thing called the church was coming. It just kind of happened. And you are blessed to live in this age. But it does not mean that it's easy. What can we do? What can you do? Well, I know many of you already have this as part of your life. 
and the church is a huge part of this, be part of building something that will bring souls closer to God. And also, share your story. I know you guys have funny jokes and you've got some interesting things that have happened in your life, things that you're good at, like golfing or gardening or fixing cars. You can share those, but share your story. If you have not written down your story of how Jesus saved you, write it down. There's no such thing as a boring testimony. Some are more colorful than others. My dad's story is much more colorful than my story is because I was raised in a home going to church since before I can remember. There's no such thing as a boring story. Take time to write that down, but then share your story of how you came to be a follower of Jesus with someone and do it soon. You know, let's put an expiration date on it. Let's do it before Wednesday. Before Wednesday, share with someone how you came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you might say, you know, I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not really positive if I'll go to heaven when I die. Well, then you can take care of that. That's the biggest what can you do. You can ask God to save you even in this moment. Ask God to save you for your sins based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This past week, uh, in our, our kids' club, I have the wonderful blessing of watching some chaos take place out in our gymnasium. Before club, we give the kids free time. And kids, kids from the ages of three up through the fifth grade are just running in circles and playing tag and chase, and some are throwing balls, and it is just the time of their lives for some of them. I remember those times before club when I was a kid. And I have the privilege of standing there and kind of supervising and watching, supervising chaos is what I mean by that. Just about every week, I just, as a parent, am, my eyes get big, and I wonder if that's going to be a big pain or a big hurt. This past week, there was a young lady, and she was running, and she looked at a boy that was over this way and didn't see the kid on the ground. And so she tripped and fell, which happens every week, just to be fair. But I watched her go down, and her chin hit the floor, and I watched her head bounce back up. She hit it so hard. And she was shocked. She grabbed her chin and she looked up and she ran over to where her mom was at. Mom looked at it. Mom went and got a Band-Aid. And then mom reported to me a little bit later, we're going to have to go to the hospital and, and get stitches. It won't close up. Bleeding so bad. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for you both, I said. And they were going to go and come back at the end of the night. Let me share with you, every week I watch those kids run in circles and bounce into each other. Somebody's crying about, you know, most of the time. And I think to myself, what rules can we put in place? Or maybe we could put them in sections or get rid of the balls. Or what can we do to prevent the pain? What can we do to stop it so no one's going to get hurt anymore? And I hated that this beautiful young girl split her chin. And she went to the she went to the walk-in clinic, and they put not stitches, but a glue on there. You guys know what the glue is on the chin? It's like a bright purple glue all, all over her chin when she came back to hold her face together. And she was sweet. And then she was able to finish out the night, actually, ha after she had that. 
there are many people who would say, you know what, we're done. It's too difficult. Somebody that I know has been hurt. No more of this. There are a lot of things that you can quit in this world, but God's church is not one of them. You cannot quit His church, His, the bride of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it and be walking in a way that is pleasing to God. And so we are part of something beautiful that is the local church that Jesus Christ has given us. And we are not part of it because it is without difficulty. But we are part of it because it is essential. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for the blessing of being here in this moment. We thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross so that we could all be a part of a universal body of believers. I would pray even this day, if there's anyone hearing this message that is not sure that they're a child of God, that they would turn to you, repent of their sins, and ask for forgiveness based on what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you that that is available to us. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful mystery of the church, what you have given us, and how so many that are part of the church have just seen the beauty of it. It's not that they've not been hurt. It's not that they've been pain-free. It's that they've gone through it, and they said, I will keep with it, and I will be a part of it. It will help me, and I will help others. God, you are so good to us to give us the church. While we have our eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray. It could be that God has spoken into your heart in some way today. As your piano plays through softly, I want to invite you, if it's a prayer of forgiveness of of salvation, ask God to forgive you. You can do that even in this moment. Maybe some of you need to have a renewed dedication to the church. Maybe some of you have been hurt. You've been tempted to give up and walk away. But you see here, Jesus Christ said it's not going to be easy. Sometimes you've got to rebuke. Some people are going to have to repent. Oftentimes you're going to need just patience and forgiveness and kindness. Maybe ask God to help you with that.